0: Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So we were all set to go for a a weekend that was going to be just outstanding. Five families together, and the one thing that we had in common is we all had small children aging between like three and ten. And we're heading off to the African bush in the country where we lived at the time, Botswana, and driving to this perfect place where we we're gonna have the most amazing weekend. And we set up camp, and a little bit later in that afternoon, uh, the children came to us and said they wanted to go for a walk. And we were quite cool with this because we knew the area pretty well, and so it was familiar to us. And so they set off. But when they came back an hour or so later, we discovered that we are missing a few numbers, (laughs) including our little three-year-old. As we asked the older kids what happened, they said they don't know. They, they were walking along and then the grass was very tall. And the next thing they looked, these kids were gone. Our precious little three-year-old was lost. And so we, we do what parents do. We set out search parties and drove in our four-by-four vehicles, some getting on the top of the vehicles to try and scan the horizon. It's, it's trying to find these kids somewhere. And after a long search, we found these three little kids walking completely in completely the wrong direction. Utterly lost. Well, you can imagine the celebration that we had when we were reunited. One of the little children was with our 3 old at the time. She said, I will never see my mommy and daddy again. Lost and found. Roll on uh, five or so years later. It's a Sunday morning, and I walk through the doors of a church for the first time on invitation of Elise. And I'm thinking to myself, man, this is probably the last thing I want to do on a Sunday morning is to hang out with these weird people. (laughs) But I made a commitment to it, and so I decided to keep it. And I was thinking to myself, I don't need this, I'm okay. I'm a good father, I work hard, life's good. And as I sat down over the next few weeks, and a very skillful preacher began to open the message of the gospel of grace, I began to realize that I'm not that okay. I began to realize that what I thought defined a life that I had together wasn't that at all. I actually began to realize that I was lost. And so as I sat during the next few weeks and getting the gospel unpacked to me, it became clear to me that my definition of a life that's together and the, the definition of the gospel is so different. And I came to faith a few weeks later asking Jesus to forgive my sins and to change my life from the inside out. which is what what he did so beautifully. Lost and found. Jesus, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, tell a lot of stories, about 40 or so stories or parables. And when he told these stories, man, he utterly confused the listeners. He left them perplexed and confused. And the reason he did so is he wanted to provoke the imagination. He wanted them to see life differently. He came to announce that the kingdom of God is here. And with it, some important life decisions that needed to be made. And so he he tells three stories back to back. The stories of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and the one that I want us to focus on this morning, a lost son or a lost brother. And we find this In Luke chapter 15, so if you can turn there, and we'll pick it up from verse 1. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them, this parable. jump to verse 11. Jesus continued. "There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, "Father, give me my share of the estate." So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth. In wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. We jump to verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he Verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. Jesus tells this story to explain that he exists to reach out to lost people. This is the mission of God. This is the essence of what we believe, that Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you and I, together with the rest of humanity, can be reconciled to our Creator. That you and I may never be lost again. Jesus came to put an end to our lostness. And as we will see this morning, there is more than one way to be lost. The younger brother shows us That we can be lost by running wild. Most of us have been there, doing what we want, when we want, how we want, where we want, wild living. It's not difficult for us to see in the story just how wild and how lost this young brother was. But there's another way to be lost, and it's through ladder climbing. At which point you say, Christo, what on earth are you on about? So let me explain. A ladder climber is someone who has the belief that through their moral and religious efforts, they can earn God's love, acceptance, salvation in heaven. It could even be a a church-going follower of Christ, who has become performance-related Performance management related in their relationship with God. Where they feel they can only come to God in prayer and worship. When they've got, all the, they've got all of their life together. When they tick all the boxes. When they obey. When they give. When they pray. When they do all these things. They can come with confidence to their father. But when they mess it up. They run from God. Believing that he would have nothing to do with them. Or let a climber could be a a church-going person who believe that if they do all the right things, read the Bible, come to church, pray, give, serve, obey, if they do all these things, that they're going to be okay. But in reality, they have never put their faith and trust in Jesus. Or that a climber could be a completely irreligious person, like I was, who look at their life and think, man, I'm okay. I'm not so bad. When I compare myself to to prostitutes and to abusers and to addicts, I'm sure if they say, heaven, I will make the cut. I work hard. I pay my taxes. I treat my family well. I care for my friends. I do all these things. I'm not perfect, but I think I'm going to be Okay. Well, this morning, as we look at these two brothers, I want to leave you with three big ideas from this story. The first thing is that ladder climbing has an ugly underbelly. Secondly, that Jesus invites us to throw our ladders away and to receive His grace. And thirdly, I want to show you that grace will change us in ways that ladder climbing never could. And so... Let's get into it. Ladder climbing has an ugly underbelly. I say that because ladder climbing is ugly because rebellious brothers and religious brothers are equally lost. And you know what it means to be lost? It means to look for meaning and life outside of Christ. Christ. And so the younger brother is not looking to Christ at all. He's looking at at fulfilling his life for meaning and salvation through wild living and sex and money and travel and independence. That's where he's going. He's banking on those things. The created things, not the creator. Have you been there lately? Have you fallen into this trap of running after the things that God can give you rather than God himself? Is that where you go for your meaning? Because my friends, if you do that, you're going to end up disappointed because those things were never ever meant to give you meaning. They never will. Meaning comes from God and God alone. And so if you're like the younger brother and you run after all these things and thinking this is going to make my life cool, sorry to tell you, but it's going to disappoint you. You will not find meaning there. You will not find salvation there. In contrast, the older brother looks to his hard work, his moral decency, his good behavior. But guess what? He's just as lost. He also doesn't look to God. He's just as lost as the younger brother. The younger brother is lost because he breaks all the rules. The older brother is lost because he keeps all the rules. Furthermore, ladder climbing is ugly because ladder climbers struggle to believe that they are lost. They live a lie. Let's not forget why Jesus told this story. He's doing so in answering a ladder climbing question from the Pharisees. Jesus, why do you spend time with lost people like pimps and prostitutes? And Jesus answered it in such a way to make these Pharisees who thought they had it all together, morally, scripturally, They had it all sorted out and he answers in such a way to make them see that they are just as lost. They can't see it. Think about it. The younger brother's sins are obvious for all of us to see this morning. Sexual promiscuity, materialism, abuse of substances. It's like a skin cancer. You can't miss it. It's, it's, It's observable to all of us. But the older brother's sins are not that obvious at all. It's like a secret tumor that's working inside of him and it's lethal for that very reason. Ladder climbing is also ugly because ladder climbers use and therefore hurt God. Listen to how the older brother talks to his father. He says to his father, Man, this younger brother of of mine, he doesn't love you. He's just in it for the money. He's just in it for the good. For a good life. He's just abusing you. But here's the irony the older brother is doing exactly the same, just disguised better. Listen to his words. He says, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Why was the older brother doing all these things? Why was he working hard? Why did he live a morally good life? To honor his father? No, no. To see what he could get out of it. To see what what money he could make from it. And think about it. I've often seen people come to me and say, man, Christo, I've tried this Christian thing. I've done all the good things. I come to church. I pray. I read the Bible. I I obey. I give. I do all these things. I keep all the rules. And you know what? It hasn't worked for me. God still didn't come through. My marriage broke up. I I couldn't find a job, so so I gave up. What's this person saying? This person is saying that they're going after the creative things and not after the Creator. And so I want to ask you this morning, if you look at your life, if you begin to To be more keen on what God can dispense to you than rather give of himself. Created things rather than the creator. Ladder climbing is also ugly because ladder climbers swing between self-righteousness and self-condemnation. You see, when ladder climbers perform and when they're at the top of their game, like this older brother, they can't help but feel self-righteous. So let me define self-righteousness for you. It is confidence without humility. Confidence because they are confident that if they do all the right things in their own strength, that God will surely come through and bless them by sheer discipline and and determination in their own strength. What happens when they blow it the next week? What happens when they mess up? They swing to self-condemnation. Self-condemnation is like humility without confidence. You beat up on yourself because you've messed up and you failed God and surely He's going to nail you. Similarly, ladder climbing is ugly because ladder climbers swim between superiority and hypocrisy. Think about ladder climbing and and superiority. Listen to what the old brother is saying. He's saying, When this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, can you hear the superiority, the self-righteousness in his voice? And the problem with ladder climbers, my friend, is that they tend to look down on those below them on the ladder. In another story that Jesus tells, he speaks of some person who's morally upright, who prays next to a person who's blown it morally. Luke picks up on this. In Luke chapter eighteen, he says this: He says to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, "God, I thank you that I'm not like other people—robbers, evil evildoers, adulterers—or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I got." Can you hear the superiority in his voice? The way he prays? God, I'm so glad I'm not like these people. I'm so glad I'm like me. Think about ladder climbers and hypocrisy. Because what happens when a ladder climber blows it? They generally hide it. They live behind a mask. They think that everything is going to be fine. And so they pretend to have it all together when inside their lives are falling apart. Paul speaks about this. He speaks about the dangers of hypocrisy and ladder climbing. He says, "If you brought up, if you if you brought up religious good doers, don't assume that you can lean back on the arms of religion and take it easy, feeling smug, while you are guiding others. Who is guiding you? I'm quite serious. While preaching, don't steal." Would you not be tempted to rob people blind? Who would suspect you? The same with adultery. The same with idolatry. The point I'm trying to make, friends, is we can, if we, if you, if we can, um, if we, we can get by with almost anything, if we front loaded with eloquent talk about God. It's true. If we live behind a mask. And Jesus did not come for us to live behind masks. Yes. His forgiveness is complete and his love is complete. Ladder climbers are ugly because ladder climbers can't become completely loving people. We see how badly this elder brother treats his younger brother. We see how he tells his father that, that this younger brother is a waste of time. And the story doesn't tell us so. But I'll be surprised if one of the reasons why the rebellious younger brother left home was not that he was tired of living with his nitpicking religious Superior thinking older brother. When he returns, he even refused to call him my brother. He says to his father, the son of yours. Look at how he treats his father. This is the day that his father was longing for. The day of celebration, of coming together. And what does he do? He spoils it by not pitching up. And so later climbers might think that they keep all the rules. But they break many hearts in the process. Mm -hmm. Mahatma Gandhi was one of the wisest men that ever lived. Some even comparing him to Jesus. What he achieved in bringing about a non-violent revolution needs to be admired. But he was a ladder climber who worked for his salvation. And so when you go and study his life a little bit closer, you realize that he did all these amazing things. But he treated his wife so badly. You see, morally decent but relationally destructive. Moral morally decent but relationally destructive. That is what ladder climbers think. And this is how they behave. And then ladder climbers is ugly because ultimately they don't make the party. The father throws this party. And who makes it? The rebel. The younger brother, while the older brother stays outside. And it's not hard for us to draw the parallels with Jesus here. Jesus paid the ultimate price. Making the salvation party, opening it up to all. And in the end, the older brother doesn't get through the gates. And Jesus warns of this. He suggests that if we are going to be like the, ph- the Pharisees, he uses strong language. He refers to them as sons of hell. It's scary stuff. That ladder climbing has this ugly underbelly. Which is why I'm so grateful for my next point. That Jesus invites us to throw our ladders aside and to receive his grace instead. Now we've already seen that both these sons are equally lost, right? Just in different ways. But now we see that they are both equally loved by their father. And so when the younger brother, after all his rebellious behavior, comes back, the father rushes out and go and greet him, put a robe on him, put shoes on him, hug him, kiss him, which was not the thing to do in the culture at the time. But it's an expression of his love and say, welcome back, my son. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how badly you've messed up. No questions asked. No conditions set. Love, acceptance on full display. That is grace. Aren't you relieved this morning that Jesus does not expect us to fulfill a certain behavior, to come to Him. We can come as lost as we are. No questions asked. No, how did you mess up so badly with this? What about this shame that you're carrying with you? None of that. That's the invitation of grace. Just come to me. I'll forgive your sins. I'll give you a brand new life. That's what the father does for the younger brother. But he equally reaches out to the older brother. He goes outside to him and says, Man, I've always been there for you. I've always loved you. Come to the party. You can be a part of this. I'm not excluding you in any way. And so he sacrifices his best. He throws this party with a fattened car. and Just like Jesus gives of his best on the cross. So whether you are a younger rebellious brother this morning or a morally uh, superior older brother, you can be part of the same party. This is where we find salvation, says Jesus. Not at some far off exotic place. No, no. If you're a younger brother this morning, the place where you find salvation is at the foot of the cross. And if you are an older brother this morning, you will not find salvation at the top of the ladder. But you find salvation at the foot of the cross. And so Jesus breaks all the rules and breaks through into our lives and assures us that we are not saved by what we did, but but by He did We cannot work ourselves into the ground to find His favor. That's not why He came, folks. He came so that all of us can end up being lost, whether you are an elder rebellious brother, a younger brother, or a morally superior older brother. Jesus died so that we can come to Him this morning despite our rebellion, despite our moral best efforts to impress Him. And there's a word for that in the Bible. And the word is grace. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to this morning. Whether you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, or whether you've been a seasoned campaigner, Jesus invites you this morning to drink of His grace again. Because we lose the plot. We begin to think that we can impress God by doing all the right things. And we expect Him in this transaction to repay our best efforts so that we can make life work on our terms. And He's saying, forget all that this morning. Throw your leather away. Drink from My grace. If you've worked yourself tirelessly over the last while and you don't feel His presence, drop all your effort and come to Him and drink from Him. We meet God at the bottom end of the cross, not at some, some exotic destination, and not on top of the ladder. And so for some of us this morning, we, we need to come down our ladders, which brings me to point number three, and grace changes us in ways that ladder climbing never could. And I want to give you six, I'll just fly through these, six amazing ways in which grace Changes us in ways that ladder climbing never could. Number one, grace makes Christianity fundamentally different to every other religion in the world. You see, there's this common misperception that all religions are superficially different, but fundamentally the same, when the exact opposite is true. All religions are superficially similar, but fundamentally different. Christianity is is fundamentally different to everything else. All the other religions say you can can get God's approval and salvation if you do this and this and this. If you follow all these rules, this can be achieved. If you are an Orthodox Jew, you believe that if you obey the 613 commands of the Torah, that God will secure your approval. If you are a Buddhist, you seek to live by the rigorous disciplines and attitudes prescribed by the Eightfold Noble Path. If you're a Muslim, you live by the five pillars in the hope that Allah will get you into heaven. If you're a Hindu, you visit the temple and you and sacrifice offers so that your finances can improve and your sins can be forgiven and that bad karma will be removed and that you will have a better reincarnation. You see, you do all these things. Jesus says to come to me, you don't have to do anything. You come to the cross this morning. You will not find me at the top of a religious ladder. You will not find me in some exotic destination. You come and meet me at the foot of the cross. That's what makes us different. Grace frees us from using God. It was so easy for us to see how the older brother manipulated and thought he could use. He, he could, he could use his father to earn his love. Had he just seen how much his father loved him unconditionally, it would have broken his heart. He would have come undone. And he would have come to his father for who his father is, not for all the things his father could give him. And when we, when we grasp grace from God, folks, we come undone. We come undone. And instead of using God... We begin to love Him. Grace frees us from self-righteousness and self-condemnation. I've already defined self-righteousness as confidence without humility. And self-condemnation as humility without confidence. But the gospel makes us both humble and confident at the same time. It humbles us to the dust when we realize that our sins were so bad that Jesus had to die for it. But it lives us to the stars if we realize that we are so loved that Jesus died for us. And so the gospel makes us most both humble and confident. Humble we will never look down on people again. But confident we will never shy away from people anymore. Grace frees us from superiority and hypocrisy. You see when you realize What Jesus had to go through to die for your sin, how can you ever look down on anybody else again? Or when you realize that what Jesus did to die for you, how can you ever live behind a mask again? Completely forgiven, completely loved. The invitation from Jesus this morning is to remove the mask and to stop pretending. I love the invitation that Peter offered as we started our gathering this morning. This is not a place where you leave your trouble outside and put up a brave face. Folks, that's not church. This is rough. Sometimes a little chaotic. But the invitation from Jesus this morning is come as you are. Don't pretend you're something that you're not. Don't fall into these religious traps and build a life that looks impressive to those outside of you. No, no. Just come as you are. Take your mask off. That's why I died on the cross. Hypocrisy, no more. Self-righteousness, no more. Grace helps us to, to love others and do what is right with the right spirit of joy. We are able to love other people. You see, when we begin to drink From God's unconditional and undeserved love. He's he's enabling us to love others. Even when they seek to harm us. Or when they seek to hurt us. We can love them. And we're doing this with with a spirit of joy. Just look at this older brother. There's not much joy in his life. Right? It's white knuckled obedience. And so I want to ask you. Do you read the Bible because you have to? Do you pray because you have to? Do you come to church because you have to? Do you serve because you have to? All that thinking can go when we gaze upon the cross and we see what Jesus has done for us. All of it. We see the one who accepts us at the cost of his own life. That will melt your heart, my friends. And that will enable you to love people, even those that you you don't get on with you. That will give you a spirit of joy, even when circumstances go against you. Only grace can do that. God wants to release you this morning. He wants to relieve you of doing things because you feel compelled to. That you have to, so He could love you. So He can make your your life tick the way you want to. He he wants to set us free from that. He says, just come. And I will, as you gaze upon what I've done on the cross, I will change you. I will make you more lovable. For those of you in struggling marriages, I will bring reconciliation. For those of you struggling to, to be What he calls us to be salt and light in the marketplace. I I will go before you. I will make a way for you. Your life will have meaning there. When we look at the cross. Our hearts melt. And And then finally grace takes us. All the way up to heaven. And I've been told. In good authority. That there are two ways. And. Some of you with local knowledge may dispute this, but there are two ways to scale the Swiss mountain. And the one is by foot. And the other one is obviously by a cable car. And similarly, I want to use this analogy to to bring this point home, that there are two possibilities, two options for us to come to Jesus. The one is perfect obedience. And the other one is His sacrifice on the cross. And if you compare perfect obedience like hiking up a mountain... One step after the other. You're making all the right steps. You're doing all the right things to get there. But let me ask you, have you lived a perfect life? Have you loved perfectly? Have you been free from superiority and hypocrisy? Have you been free from self-righteousness and self-condemnation? Have you always loved people? Well, the Bible makes it clear that all of us fall short, Right? So the hike up the mountain is not going to cut it. We need to get in the cable car of the cross. And the cable car of the cross makes it possible for rebellious younger brothers and religious older brothers to get into the same carriage side by side. But there is a a condition. We need to throw our ladders away. Your ladder will not fit through the door. And so it is not good people who gets into heaven, but He's forgiven people, and He will find salvation, Jesus says to us, at the foot of the cross, not at the top of a religious ladder, not at the end of a religious feast, not at the end of a religious fast, Jesus throws this party at His own cost, and He says, from this moment on, it is possible for younger brothers, and older brothers to come to know me, How do we do this? Where's the entrance gate? How do we get through? It's by coming to God. It's by coming to God. It's by meeting Him at the foot of the cross. This morning, if you are a younger brother, it's not going to be at some exotic thing. And replace that with whatever else you are exploring to give you meaning. It won't cut it. If you this moral moralistic older brother full of religion climbing the ladder is not going to cut it for you this morning jesus says come and meet me at the foot of the cross that's why i came to die i and he tells this story because he wants us to know that he came to reach out to lost people and as we've seen this morning there are more than one way for us to be lost I wanna just I wanna just say to you if you are in the younger rebellious brothers camp, welcome. You've come to the right place. Jesus wants to meet with you. That's why He came. To reach out to you. Lost and found. There are many people in this building who can stories, tell stories about being lost and found. If you perhaps this morning you find yourself even without knowing in the camp of an older religious brother. Jesus came for you too. Because you also lost. And he wants you to kick your ladder aside this morning. And to come to him. Because he'll change your life. If you've worked yourself into the ground. For his favor. God wants to set you free from that thinking this morning. He says come and look at this cross. Come and look at what I've done there. Come and look at the price that I paid. So that you can live in the most vibrant relationship with your creator. You will find meaning you find salvation when you come to me. And so that's the invitation, my friends. Lost and found. Rebels, religious. doesn't matter where you find yourself, in either of those camps or somewhere in between. This morning, we look upon the cross and we begin to drink from the wine. Dispensing, dispensing to us love, acceptance, salvation, heaven. Why would you not do that? Why would you settle for anything less than to have this intimate relationship with you? Why would you not get up tomorrow morning and say, I want to grab the scriptures, not because of some, s- somebody makes me feel guilty, I want to read about Jesus. I want to give Him the chance to change my life through this book. I want to pray to Him. I want Him to come and work in the inside of me and change me from the inside out. I want to come and live in a community like this where shoulder to shoulder we live and we work together. And we want to see our city and our nation changed by the gospel. That's the invitation. And if you've settled for anything less I know where that feels. I've tried religion. And this morning God says, come to me. Just come as you are. Come as you are. Lost and found. Come as you are.